The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. This is Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. Today, we're going to talk about the topic of trust and betrayal. Trust and betrayal, I, I tell you what, these if you want to see somebody go psychotic, violate their trust or betray them, and you will find someone in a very psychotic state. People that uh, go to rage and have anger management issues oftentimes have what are called trust and betrayal types of issues that drive their anger uh, to the extreme that it is. And every time they feel they're violated, they continue to build up their symptoms of rage and it becomes a way of life. That's not what this show's about, though. What this show is actually about is the subject of trust and betrayal and how it operates in the human brain, how we deal with it on a daily basis, and how we can make our life a little bit healthier. You know, human beings need to trust. Uh, we have to trust it, it. It allays anxiety. It helps lift depression, and it makes it possible uh, to consistently invest interest and enjoyment in other people. And so the deal is, in life, you have to learn how to trust. And so many people that choose to hold on to not trusting develop a life that is fairly miserable, and it goes against the grain of existence. And, you know, I'll tell you this straight up. If you want to correct and and actually heal the ability to trust, you have to have faith in other people. Faith leads to trust. And this works well in any relationship, including marriage, that you give a person faith. You give them faith and you act like you trust them until you do. And if they're consistent with their delivery, then what happens is we begin to trust them once again and our lives and our relationships stabilize. So it's always, always possible to heal trust and betrayal issues. Unfortunately, many people run away from them because it hurts so bad to experience them. But, you know, pain is a reminder we're still alive. So the deal is you don't want to run from pain. You want to learn from pain. Pain is actually something that teaches us. And it's it's a lesson that all of us need to learn. And we need to continue learning unless we don't want to exist. We just want to cope with our life. You know, there could be no civilization enduring health or mental wellness without trust. You know, the most ordinary interpersonal, com- uh, commercial, medical, legal interactions would be impossible without some degree of trust. That is how we coexist on this planet. And in contrast, distrust is fraught with anxiety and resentment and uh, no loneliness 
is lonelier than distrust. I mean, distrust will absolutely take your life into a place you don't want to take it. It, it. It's like pushing a boulder up a mountain. So now there's several types of betrayal and trust issues. Um, there's intimate betrayal, which is like abuse, infidelity, deceit, financial uh, manipulation. And what this does is it fractures the ability to trust anyone who gets close to us, including friends, relatives, children. Yet the human need to trust persists, even though a person doesn't trust. Underneath them, there is the desire and the need to trust to coexist on this planet. And in creating an internal storm of wanting to trust while being terrified of it. And that contradiction is exactly what I talk about when I say pushing a boulder up a mountain. You know, most people respond to this inner turmoil in, in one of three ways. They have blind trust, which puts faith in someone without regard to demonstrated reliability or trustworthiness. And it's a more reluctance to experience the doubt, the anxiety, and the loneliness of distrust than the endorsement of the other person's better qualities. So basically, it's a delusion of the other person. And some people will blindly trust very naively and then find they can't dis they, they distrust. And then they're hurt, and then they decide they'll never trust again. There's also suspiciousness which is focused on the mere possibility of betrayal, and it keeps us in a state of hypervigilance and high anxiety and, and all but eliminates close connections to others. And these people eventually uh, work themselves into an agoraphobic lifestyle where they're surrounded by nothing but themselves and, and a home environment. And then there, there, there's a wise trust. You know, wise trust assesses the probability of betrayal in recognition that we're all frail, we're capable of betrayal in weaker moments, and realistically it's possible that any of us could betray a loved one. Blind trust denies the darker characteristic of human nature, so that's denial. Suspiciousness completely exaggerates it, and both of those are thinking in what's called black and white thinking. The world is gray, and I'm not talking about the 50 shades of gray, I'm talking about gray. But there are 50 shades or more of gray in this world. And then there's black and white. And when we do black and white, we're trying to simplify life that you're either all evil or all good. And, and neither are true. We're all evil and we're all good. We have all of those qualities within us. Now, also, realistically, um, the characteristic of human nature, wise trust is an assessment that the probability of betrayal is low. And that is where we need to have faith. I don't trust you, but I have faith in you. And that's wise trust. And that's how we exist on this planet. That's how we develop relationships. And I'm not talking about religion. Faith. Faith leads to trust. I have faith in you that you will do this. And that hopefully will produce trust so that our relationship will stabilize. Okay. Now, there's a slow path to wise trust, which is compassion for yourself and other people. First of all, you don't want to be miserable. You don't want to live in a lot of anxiety. And other people, we can't hold them to the ground that they're all evil or all good. So we have to have compassion. We have to have understanding. We really have to know, if you, if you want to know the real power of learning to have faith in another person, is to examine their intentions when they make decisions. Intentions are what 
what life is about. That is how we find out people's motives is discovering their intentions, not trying to fill in the blanks ourselves, but asking them, what were you thinking? How did you decide to do this? That is the process of discovery of a person's intention, which leads us to faith, which leads us to trust. Okay, you know, genuine trust is not a goal so much as a byproduct of an enhanced core value, which is the ability to create value and meaning in your life. And and meaning in your life, and if you're an existentialist, meaning is being fully present in the moment you're in rather than being present in your past and in your future, but existing in the moment you're in. You know, focus first on self-compassion. And then on compassion for others, and you'll find that trust will sneak up on you in its own good time. And and, and that's critical. Uh, We have to have faith in ourselves. We have to have compassion for ourselves. That doesn't mean we walk around with victim themes. But what it does mean is that we look at ourselves and go, wow, I really didn't mean a bad outcome here, but it came up to a bad outcome. Let me try to figure out what I did wrong. And that means we take responsibility for all the good and all the bad. If we just blame other people or blame situations or blame objects, we don't take responsibility for our part in situations. So if we're going to be someone who is trustable, we have to count to take accountability for our part in all things that go wrong. And that is That is self-responsibility, that is self-respect, and that is self-love. And people that do that have a much healthier life than those people who spend their life denying anything that they've done that is incorrect and think that they're always right. And sadly, there's lots of people like that. So wise trust, which is what our goal is, cannot be expected to be returned fully until we have self-compassion for ourselves and we have grown out of the fear of being hurt. That means we accept being hurt as a part of our life. So, you know, what is the probability of betrayed trust? Intimate betrayal most often occurs when partners violate their deeper values to gain a temporary sense of empowerment. So we're always looking for something quick. And the way of that potential partners empower themselves is when they're feeling vulnerable is the most telling way to assess the probability of betrayal. Knowing facts about their historical behavior in an intimate relationship helps, but you want to also study their feelings of vulnerability. If you're studying their feelings of of vulnerability, what you're discovering is they may or may not betray. And if they're that kind of a person that wobbles, then that tells you your probability of betrayal is high. Um, There's also other subtle clues. You know, the partner or the person who becomes angry, resentful, or depressed when feeling vulnerable is likely to shut down or punish or control which is called emotional abuse, or seek some kind of temporary ego boost through infidelity or deceit. And so, um, you know, when we look at a person, how much betrayal have they had in their life and how did they react to it, that's completely important to understand the probability of betrayal. And that doesn't mean we want to weigh on the side that they're probably going to betray us, but we need to weigh that into how much and how long is it going to take for me to trust this person. Okay, you also um, you also want to look at uh, when a person is feeling vulnerable, they're anxious, devalued, rejected, powerless, inadequate, unloved. What are they likely to do? And if the person is likely to improve, 
they're, they're likely to appreciate the criticism or what you have to say, they still want to connect or do they want to protect or shut down? Do they get angry? Do they deceive? Do they cheat? Do they abuse substances? Do they abuse you? These are all factors that we want to look at as far as how well can we trust somebody. This is called wise trust. You know, self-compassion also means slow trust. And slow trust, once again, is wise trust. So the more slowly that trust returns, the better. Because slow trust is more likely to have a solid, durable foundation. You know, you want to be patient with yourself. Your trusting nature is not lost. It's just a little bruised. So if you're bruised and and life will do that to you, those that are worthy of your trust uh, and you, you intuitively understand that they want your trust and that they're willing to earn your trust, then slowly you want to give them that compassion and love to give them the opportunity to be trusted by having faith in them. Okay, now let's take an overview of betrayal because betrayal, it it will affect your life forever. You know, you have to find out why betrayal happens and how it changes relationships and what you need to know from keep from falling in its trap. Because once you live a life of betrayal, I've been betrayed, you live a life of anger. You lose who you are to that betrayal. That event or those events start to define who you are. And so you want to go as far away from the feeling of betrayal as you possibly can. And that means you have to go into the land of forgiveness. And once again, The land of forgiveness is about intentions. Most people have good intentions with bad results. So, if you try to look at somebody betraying you, you want to examine their intentions because it was probably not to hurt your feelings. I can't say it wasn't always because some people will get vengeance and do terrible things, but... Sense of betrayal usually comes from a good thing that the person thinks they're doing and ends up being a bad thing. You know, anyone who's experienced betrayal in a relationship knows how difficult it is to recover from such an experience. I can tell you in counseling, it can take up to a year to two to three years for the people to begin to heal their trust. Uh, Some people a little quicker, some people a little longer, but boy, it takes a lot of work to get over that betrayal. Um, The person you thought you could trust and count on is no longer the person you believed them to be. So you wonder, what happened? You know, were you just wrong about them all along? Did something change? Is there something wrong with me? Is my judgment off? Is, Is this really who, did I really live in the delusion that this person was doing what they said they were doing? You know, maybe your relationship has changed and their loyalty to you and maybe you didn't know. And you've got to keep your hand on that temperature. It's extremely important to understand that when we're doing like marital or relationship counseling, that a betrayal such as an affair is something we have to look at as a symptom rather than the problem in the relationship. If we focus on the actual betrayal, we're losing ground on what the actual problems are. So if a couple's coming to me to heal their relationship, I really seriously have to understand what the symptoms were that caused the betrayal, and that is where building trust comes from. Okay, now, you know, you also have to examine with betrayal that maybe something in either or both of your life has changed and that they've become insensitive to you, or maybe you grew apart in different directions. And I have so many shows out here 
uh, that are on podcasts that you guys can listen to about these various things uh, having to do with relationships, betrayal, grieving, uh, mistrust, uh, affairs. You know, there are many reasons that cause people to betray one another. Sometimes they're very deliberate, intended to hurt. And sometimes there are consequences of choices that are made with no intention of doing any harm to anyone. And you want to look out for one's own best interests because they can cause some people to disregard relationships once they're value that were valued. And you want to make you want to make decisions wisely. You want to try to evaluate how will my decision, if it's an impulse, impact other people. And that oftentimes is not an ingredient of the average human being. You know, they, they may, we may have misconceptions also about our relationship and we may be guilty of living in the delusion that we're close to each other or that our partner is where they say they are. You know, we may find ourselves and understand that in truth, we're not as connected as we were before. And that, before you get to betrayal, if you don't get the work done then, you are partly responsible for the betrayal because those things are what leads to betrayal. An individual that feels their needs are not being met in a relationship might feel that their relationship is no longer important or worth investing in. And when you go to counseling to get it fixed, you're telling each other that, yeah, it is important. You know, you, you might go seek your needs elsewhere. You might have what's called an emotional relationship or an emotional affair, which is not physical, but it's done through social media, email, texting, uh, calling, going to lunch, I mean, whatever. But they begin to reach out to each other in a way that their partner is not reaching out to them. And eventually it becomes a relationship. And it, eventually the one that you're in grows apart and opportunities for betrayal begin to emerge. You know, betrayal is a very destructive force that leaves it huge amounts of ruins in, it, in its path. It changes everything. It changes how you look at each other, how you look at other people. And sometimes the damage can be irreparable, meaning you can't go back to who you were. And it runs deep, but it is life. And once again, we have to embrace it. We have to embrace the experience of betrayal and mistrust because that's a life lesson that we have to understand how to begin to trust and how to establish relationships one-on-one -on -one with individual people and not blanket everybody with the same mistrust or betrayal feelings. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to go deeper into betrayal. We're getting into the healing of it and the moving through of betrayal and trust. So come right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Are you good at leading yourself? In order to be more effective leaders in business, as managers, or in any organization, 
You've got to start by being good at self-leadership. On Leadership Takeoff, host Mo Glenner and his guests bring you the tools to help you lead yourself and your team to truly become the pilot in command. You need to tune in to Leadership Takeoff, live every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Because the sky is not the limit. It's only the beginning. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. We're all right. We're talking about trust and betrayal, and we're talking about the healing of trust and betrayal also. We're talking about how its impact is on our psyche, how it changes us, how it affects us. You know, not only does betrayal change relationships, it, it also changes individuals. You know, something happens inside people. They, they find it difficult to ever trust again. They might be more guarded and protective of themselves for fear of being vulnerable. Uh, they also might learn to be more discerning and less naive. And their expectations of other people begin to change. And they, they reflect on their own role and responsibility in the relationship and what went wrong. They also might try to understand and empathize and forgive and they may be motivated to grow from the experience, and that's what we hope. That's what we hope when people come to counseling, is that they want to grow from the experience and learn more about themselves and their partner or other people. The pain of betrayal, however, is so real. It has a significant impact on the lives of all of those who have experienced it. it it's one of the most painful experiences that have the power that has the power to basically change people's hearts and lives forever. If you've ever been betrayed, you cannot change what has happened to you or make the pain go away. You have to grieve. And and grieving is a long cycle. And you've got to feel angry. And you're going to go through enormous amounts of feelings. And those feelings are going to run you ragged. You're going to feel like you've run 20 marathons at the end of a grieving process. You're going to get to the point where you just don't care anymore. And, And it doesn't mean you don't love your partner or don't love the friend that's betrayed you, but it's like, wow, it's like running a gauntlet, and it is very difficult. Uh, Also, you need time to be comforted and encouraged. You need time to restore your faith in yourself and other people. Betrayal hurts, and there is no fast and easy way to heal from it. It takes more than time. It takes a heart that will not harden, and that is hard. That's hard for people. It, It takes a commitment to believe in other people. And relationships can change as a result of this. And I've seen it. And ultimately, it, it can change you into something better. It can actually be an opportunity to learn. And we have to look at life like that as everything is an opportunity to learn. We can't run away from life. You cannot run away from conflict. So, you know, here's my thoughts, and I did a dissertation on this, and believe me, it took a long time, but I came up with this thought probably in high school, and I just stuck, it stuck with me, and I've evaluated and evaluated it in a million different ways, and I can't seem to shatter my own hypothesis, and, and 
I haven't had anybody been able to shatter the hypothesis, and that is that trust is deeper than love. You, you can love someone and not trust them. But when you trust someone, love always follows. And what that means is when you trust somebody and you haven't seen them in 10 years and they come back in your life after 10 years, your relationship will be strong if even stronger in 10 years. You guys will still enjoy each other and find other ways to enjoy each other and hope that the next gap in time between you will not be as long. Trust carries love. And so when we do the work in therapy, I have to work, me personally, this is me as a therapist, I don't work on love. I don't care if people love each other or not because I know if I fix trust, I'm going to regain the love. There, the love will reignite. The love will come back. It's The problem is you have to restore the trust for a long life relationship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friend, whether it's family, for it to grow back again. And it takes a lot of faith in each other. All right, now, you know, betrayals are unavoidable in our life. And they range from seemingly innocent flirtations with a coworker to the not-so-innocent one-night stands to the extramarital affairs. And if you've been the victim of betrayal, you know the agony of feeling cheated on and used. And your worldviews are shattered because you can't trust your partner but who can you trust? Your dismay, pain, and despair can lead you to declare the relationship is over, and then you throw the cheater out of your home and your heart, but even then you still have the pain. So, would you rather face this person and assess whether they're ever going to be trustable again, or do you need to just let them go? And sometimes you just need to let them go because I can tell you in this life, I've seen people, my own father, uh, just can't trust the dude. Uh, he's not around anymore. God help him, but can't trust him. He, he was a player. You know, abuse is another form of betrayal that can have long-term consequences for an individual's adjustment. You know, there's a betrayal trauma theory that if you've been the victim of childhood sexual abuse in the hands of the person caring for you, you may repress or block the experiences from your memory in order to continue to survive because you're in their care. And the closer you are to them, the greater the degree of trauma you experience and the higher you risk for long-term mental health problems because you have had to blow smoke up your own ass that the person that's abusing you, your caretaker, is actually abusing you. And to, to face that, to go, wow, that's a reality, and to do something about it is far more courageous than a person that just sits back and denies it ever happens and lets it continue. And, and so that has its, its impact on all of our psyches. You know, betrayal in romantic relationships also involves a breach of trust and may result in similar reactions, particularly someone who's been abused in, in earlier in life. You know, so they, you do you have an affair on them, they may have an affair on you, and then all the, the whole world starts to fall apart. Also, moving beyond betrayal to resolution most definitely means that per perpetrators take responsibility for their actions by making it clear that they regret what they've done. Being defensive or hostile about their actions leads their partners to less willingness to forgive them. 
Once the victims receive the apology, they can let go their hurt and anger. Not that it happens that fast, but now is the beginning of the, the release. Once that the betrayer has actually regretted what they've done and faced and taken responsibility for what they've done. For betrayal to be resolved, the sequence must con- occur in direction of the perpetrator amends first and the victim forgiveness second. And so, and the, here's the deal, the work of the person that has to forgive is 500 times harder than the person that that needs to be forgiven. That work that you're asking a person to do to forgive you is horrible. It it is a long, long, long process, and it's very difficult. But if you're going to move through it, here's a way to begin. The perpetrator needs to say they're sorry and be sorry, And, and that's very clear in how they go. Also, the victim needs to not have any self-blame. They need to avoid that. You know, uh, you can take fault for damage you've done by not talking to each other or withholding sex or, or, you know, starving each other of all kinds of different things. That's one thing. But you also have to stop blaming yourself for your partner having an affair, for your someone else, a friend of yours, to betray you. You stop that because you're not responsible for their betrayal. They are responsible for their betrayal. They chose to betray you. That is not something that you had power over. Also, you have to practice forgiveness. And once again, how do you practice forgiveness? It's so easy to say, well, just forgive them. Well, no, but you have to understand how to forgive. And that's unfortunate because a lot of people that talk about forgiveness, especially in religious institutions and stuff like that, don't really teach how to forgive. They may show examples, they may demonstrate it, but they don't really teach you how to forgive. And so I'm going to teach you how to forgive. And I've done a whole show on this, by the way, called Forgiveness. But forgiveness is examining the intention. And we talked about that earlier, but that's how you get to forgiveness, is you examine the attention, intention of the person who has betrayed you. Also, you, you need to understand that there is uh, a sense of loss. You also, if you're, you've been, you're the betrayer, you need to understand that there is a, a purpose for the betrayal, and that is the intention of the betrayal. You also need to, to understand that there's a loss of, of an illusion, a delusion of what the relationship was and what you meant to each other. Now you're faced with two people who are far, far apart and who are being asked to grow back together after something has very difficult has come between them. And so it takes a lot of courage to go through that. Also, we have to understand the process of grief. And and for those of us who don't understand grief, there is a really cute about four, three-minute cartoon that's on the Internet. It's called Giraffe in Quicksand. And it is about the seven stages or the five stages of grieving, which is a fabulous, fabulous little cartoon about the grieving process. It's called, once again, the uh, the uh, giraffe in quicksand. It's a great, great, great video. I would advise you to go look at that. As soon as this show's over, you will never forget it. You will laugh out loud if you've ever been through uh, grief. You know, the denial stage is the first stage of grief, and uh, that is a shock. And basically, we just sit there and we can't believe that this has happened to us. And uh, 
we are just in shock that it's happened to us. And, and when I go to critical incidents, and I've worked cr- several critical incidents, including dead babies in swimming pool, people that have lost their husband, their wife, uh, in car wrecks, children, it's it's horrible thing. But what happens is the first thing you come to is they're in this very strange, peaceful state, but yet they're extremely upset. They're very, they're crying, they're grieving, but they're also very calm and trying to, they're just trying to come to grips with this. Not everybody reacts to, to, the, to the denial stage in the same way, but that is usually the first stage, and that means they're in shock. The first thing you want to do is reattach them to the world, and that is to drink water. Water is a very helpful tool to bring them back into life. They have something in their hand that they can control. Now there is something in this life I can control rather than what I can't control, which is what's going on in my head. So if you give them a sense of presence, that is the beginning to move through that state of denial. Also, then the next phase is the anger phase and the anger phase is rage uncontrolled rage it's just you're bargaining you're doing everything you can to to try to struggle with the reality that you're facing a new life and when you've been betrayed and when you've had trust violations you go through that and and you've got to go through it and you've got to be angry at the other person and, and angry at yourself and angry at the world angry at what you see on television what you hear on the radio uh, angry at this show. I mean, you could get angry at all kinds of things, but that is a process you have got to move through because that is grieving. And that's how our mind begins to come to grips and processes through what's happened to us. We don't know what's going to come out on the other side. Also, the venting of emotions is another phase where we want to vent with the person who hurt us. And so we want to give them retribution for what they have done and what they have done to us. However, they didn't do that to us. We have allowed them to do that to us. We are a part of that. And we have to take some accountability because it is a relationship. And so we have to navigate that. You know, we we may call each other, you know, scum. We may call each other names. But we also are very strange because we come back and we say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. That was, you know. So the venting stage is huge because it's almost like you're bipolar. You go from extremely agitated to extremely calm to extremely agitated to extremely calm. And that, that loss of your emotional stability makes us feel like we're crazy. You know, the, the best thing in the venting process is if you write letters and vent on paper and don't let anybody else read them. Just vent, 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 and write it all out. Write it in your computer. Put it somewhere where nobody's going to read it and allow yourself to vent. That is a huge way to get through it. Now, the third stage is sadness. And, uh, you know, as you work through the anger, you just get tired. And sadness is what you begin to recognize. And it's a sense of, wow, you know, my life just doesn't seem like the same. And uh, this will never be the same. And that is a part of the reality of what you're working with. And you've got to understand that. And then the final stage is acceptance. And this, this is a healing process. And this is built into our systems to help us cope with numerous losses we experience in life. Now, if we trust the process of healing, of grieving, we will heal. Trusting the process means allowing your feelings to be what they are. So if I'm angry and I'm in the car, I'm going to let myself cycle through the emotions of anger. And here's here's the thought of emotions, by the way. Emotions cannot last more than three minutes without a thought to drive them. So that means, okay, I'm angry. 
Now, if I go, I'm angry because they betrayed me. I'm angry because they they talked to this other person. I'm angry because they said this about me. I'm angry because they did this with somebody else. Now you're loading another three minutes for every reason why you're anger to be angry. But if I just sit with the emotion and go, okay, I'm angry, the energy in your brain has to sustain it. It, it requires a thought to sustain the emotion. It dies. So it, any emotion that can last more than three minutes is only sustained by thoughts. So you have to stop thinking and start feeling and let yourself just feel. Stop thinking and start feeling and let yourself feel. Do not attach thought to it. Just feel and it will go away and it won't take over your life. And that is what you have to learn about this grieving process. It's huge. You know, you also have to navigate through the idea of why should I forgive someone who's betrayed me? And, and, you know, many people ask how to know whether or not to forgive or continue in the relationship. And and all I can do is give you questions to ask. And so what, what you have to do is, is this behavior going to continue? You know, is this likely to change or is this likely a behavior that this person will do? Also, you have to look at the other person and go, do they want forgiveness? You know, was the transgression out of justified anger and the person regretting the act so rashly? You know, how long have you known the person and is this typical uh, behavior of them? Was the behavior intentional or was it related to a a loss of a, a delusion? You know, what makes the relationship you have with this other person's worth forgiving? And the other question is, do you need to forgive so as to move on with your life without bitterness? Because forgiveness is really a gift to ourselves. All right, we're going to go into trust, managing trust, mistrust, and the risk factors. We're going to discuss all that when we come back to Absurd Psychology. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. 
Welcome back, everybody. All right, now we're going to go into the topic of trust. And what I want to really uh, discuss with you guys is the understanding that with trust, trust is the fundamental function of life. And it is the optimistic view. Betrayal is the betrayal of trust. And uh, betrayal is about mistrust, and that, that's what we were discussing in the previous uh, two segments mostly, and the healing of that and how to move through this. But we need to trust in life. If you are going to fundamentally exist in this world and coexist with other people, you, you need to, to trust. Trust is a measure of the quality of a relationship between two people, between groups of people, or between a person and an organization. In in totality, predictable situations uh, is the question of trust is always going to arise. And when you know exactly what you're going to expect, there's no need to make a judgment call. And that means, yes, this person can be trusted. This is something this person can do. And that gives a person credibility and integrity. Integrity, I can tell you, is a quality of a person that you can tell what they, you know who they are, you know what they're about, and they're consistent in every way and about how they come across and what they do. They stay the same. Integrity means that a person is extremely magnetic. It means it draws people to them. The people that don't end up in nursing homes have integrity. And I'm not saying that every person that's ever been in a nursing home did not have integrity. That's not true. There's medical reasons and all kinds of stuff for that. But the deal is there's thousands and thousands of people, if not millions of people that are left alone in nursing homes, nobody seeing them because they did not lead a life of integrity. Integrity makes a person uh, magnetic. They draw everyone to them because if you can trust somebody, that means you can have a relationship and there is faith in life. And so people that have integrity are hard to find, but once you do find them, you want them in your life all the time in every possible way. The more you surround yourself with people who are consistent, have integrity, have values and believe in themselves and follow through with what they say, do what they say, are trustable people, that is who you want to surround yourself in in life. So what we're going to do is try to break down how to develop this trust. You know, uh, of the also the turbulence of in workplaces such as outsourcing and mergers and downsizing and changing business models creates a breeding ground for distrust in relationships, divorce, uh, breakups, arguments, uh, betrayals in relationships will lead to huge sense of mistrust and distrust. You know, leading in such an environment requires acting in ways that provide clear reasons to decide to trust. And there is no returning to the days when a person is expected and receives unconditional loyalty uh, from anybody in this day and age. This day and age is very diverse. People are extremely diverse, especially with electronic media, social media. People continue to stab each other in the back and be inconsistent in their character in different environments. A person could be one way online and another way in their home. They could be one way in a friendship and another way in the workplace. Uh, They could be one way with their children and an entirely different way with people that they're friends with or work with. And so you have to understand that people are very diverse and they're very different and they can be different in the way they operate in their homes and how they operate at work and how they operate with their children and their extended family. So here's some practical ways of managing trust 
And, and that's, once again, wise trust, which is risk tolerance. You spend more time uh, looking at options and risks of trusting somebody or a process or a, a, a specialty and you recognize what is good about it and what is bad about it. And that risk tolerance is the beginning of developing trust. Also, you want to have a level of adjustment when you're wanting to trust somebody. You don't want to go into black and white thinking. What you want to do is be patient and take longer to build trust with some individuals and try to take trust one piece at a time. And so what what that means is, okay, I'm going to trust them on something small. I'm going to trust them to show up when they say they're going to show up. I'm going to trust them to do what they say. And I'm going to begin, to, I'm going to start evaluating their work. I'm going to discuss with other people how they have felt about this person and if they've been able to trust them or mistrust them. Also, um, you want to develop security. You, you want to have security for yourself. If the trust fails, then what will happen? You always want to evaluate that. You also want to look at the power situation. Does this person, am I required to trust them? Does this person have power in my life? How much power does this person have and how much will I allow them to have? You know, if it's, you're working with a bad boss or somebody that's a real creep, uh, what you want to do is you want to register how much you can trust them. But on the other side of it, you want to look at yourself and go, I need to take responsibility for this situation. I may need to evaluate whether uh, I need to take other decisions and not have this person in my life because they're causing me to go crazy. They're putting me through a lot of turmoil. Also, um, you also want to look at a lot of similarities. If their behavior has similarities that would let you believe that they would not be a trustable person. You know, people that are late are often showing a very so a good sign that they may not be good at delivering things on time in life. Uh, people that are uh, disrespectful or talk over other people may be showing that they're very poor listeners and that they be listening to you may not be important to them. So it's, it's important to take the signs that we see in people's communication styles to evaluate whether they're trustable. Also, uh, we want to understand, if are they capable of being trusted? Am I asking the person for more than what they have to give? You know, if they are unable to give then we don't ask them for more than what they have to give. I'm, I'm not going to ask somebody for $50 when they only have five. That's ridiculous. And so we have to evaluate. Do they have it in their nature and the ability to trust and so or, or be trusted? And when I do counseling, that is something we have to evaluate on a continuous basis. Is, is Am I asking for too much gas and they're able, their tank is able to hold? Also, you have to look at their level of communication. If they're people that keep things to themselves, if they're people that keep secrets, if they're people that don't talk very well, then they're going to be people that you're going to have a lot of trust issues with because they're going to be passive aggressive. You, if, For people to be trustable, they also have to be committed to positive and healthy communication. And a lot of people have very poor communication skills, which means that they may not be purposefully mistrustful, but they are not good to be trusted because their communication style is very self-serving. Also, uh, you want to look at their predictability and their integrity. And we talked about integrity before, but you know, a predictability is character. It's what a person is about, how they have decided who they are and what they're all about. And so 
we want to see that in a person. If a person, let's say, likes to go fishing or if a person is uh, uh, gets quickly angry and these are qualities of their personality and then it goes away quickly, that's something you want to communicate about so that you know when you get in a fight, they, they'll get over it quickly. There's a way that you can get through it. And, and that those qualities are very, very important, even if they're consistent, even if they're bad qualities. If they're consistent, at least you can depend on them and work around those qualities. We're all human. We all have our frailty. You know, when deciding whether to trust someone, people weigh in a lot of factors. How tolerant is the truster? How well adjusted is that person? And how how relative power, how much relative power does that person have in the relationship? I'm sorry, I was reading that. So I was trying to, to communicate that as far as the decision maker to decide to trust you have to just you have to decipher your risk risk tolerancy how well adjusted is is are you and how much power do you have in the relationship also you want to look at situational factors like how secure do both people feel and how many similarities are there between them and this is when you're doing counseling and how does the trustee show benevolent concern and is the trustee capable of trusting? Has the trustee shown predictability and integrity? Do the parties have good communication? These are factors, just like I've said, that we have to discuss. We have to evaluate on a continuous basis in counseling when trying to get to trust. All right, now rebuilding it. You know, what individuals can do is repair trust by resolving conflicts. And, and how you end a fight is more important than how you have a fight. If you can end a fight, then you can begin to trust a relationship. People have a right to be on different pages. And so the deal is you have to be willing to resolve or to be able to agree to disagree respectfully. And that means you don't fight. What you do is you take a time out until you're able to calm down and to be two adult people. And if you're going to call a time out, you mean to call a time out when you come back. If we're going to go out for for a half hour we're going to come back in a half hour and continue to discuss it you don't just leave an argument you come back to it you set a time and you come back and you commit to that and it's not 10 days from now it's a half hour from now an hour from now whatever's reasonable you know although the process of conflict is difficult there are steps that you can take to enhance the likelihood of stimulating a victim's willingness to uh, reconcile. So if you violated somebody's trust, there is a way back. And, and uh, it, you don't focus on one event in a relationship. You focus on the potential of the relationship. You don't want to go out and, and say this event is what our relationship is the defining moment of our relationship. Because one event in a long-term relationship is never the definer. Uh, it is one thing that has happened, and you don't want the events to define the relationship. So you take immediate action after the violation, immediate action, and you begin to discuss and quickly engage in rest uh, restoration efforts. And that means counseling if you can get it. If you can't, if you can't take immediate action on your own, and the and the perpetrator and the victim are off, they just can't talk. Get counseling if you still if you want to heal it. If you can't, then you have to get into your adult self. Adult self 
means I'm willing to state my emotions rather than demonstrate my emotions. You also want to provide, if you're, you're the perpetrator, provide an apology and give a thorough account of what happened and take responsibility for your actions, and, and especially if you're culpable, and express remorse for harm that the victim endured because of the violation. That means you know how it affected them. You know what it did to them. You know how this has come across and it's not good and it is your fault. And you also want to be sincere about it. You, you know, the victim is closely scrutinizing your motives and intentions, so it's imperative to sincerely strive to repair the harm from the violation. And you also want to take un, uh, a unilateral action and you want to make every effort to show your words and actions you are genuinely on the same page. Also, you want to be cognizant of day-to-day -day history of the relationship because after you have violated trust, the relationship is not going to be stable. It's going to be a rocky ship. There's going to be days when you feel like it's never going to heal. There's going to be days when it's depressing and hopeless. Uh, and they're all coming from both parties. And it's very hard to endure that. And also, you want to restate and renegotiate expectations for the future. That contract is a restatement of the future. So, like if you're in a marriage where the vows have been broken, I'm not suggesting you go out and uh, get married again. What I am suggesting is you recognize that your contract of your marriage is over. Your vows are violated, and the only way to get the relationship back is to restate the vows that you want to have with each other, and that is the contract of your marriage after that. Okay, so here's some tips to deepen your trust in each other. You know, you want to uh, keep what your partner tells you within the confines of your relationship. And that's hard to do when trust has been violated, but telling others what your partner has shared with you in confidence will destroy it. Also, you don't want to rely on email, phone calls, and texts to communicate with your partner. You want to talk face-to-face, -face, and that will help you. Even Skype will help you. Consider also your partner's interests. The more you do for them, the more they will know that you can be counted on and you have their best interests at heart. Also, you want to follow through with the little promises that you make. These are little steps that, that, that get us back to, to trust. We want to learn from to apologize when we make mistakes and disappoint each other, that we're not perfect. And as you learn more about each other, allow yourself to share more personal information and history once you discover you are trustable. You also need to practice forgiveness and examine intentions rather than outcomes. And... Uh, you want to take some time away from each other and check in with yourself to see how you feel, which is hard to do when you're insecure, but you got to do it. And you have to understand also trust fluctuates over time. It will always fluctuate. Every relationship ebbs and flows around trust. All right, that's our show. Absurd Psychology next Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific and 4 p.m. Eastern. Our next show is a real blockbuster, Paranormal Psychology with Lloyd Auerbach. Lloyd Auerbach, uh, I think one of the characters in the original Ghostbusters was based on him. He has actually been around for many years teaching uh, about paranormal psychology, and he is also a... Uh, uh, an expert in this field. He's actually one of the most worldwide known people on parapsychology there is, and I'm so fortunate to have him as my guest next week. I want to thank everyone for listening. I'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. drgbmft at 
sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. Remember, as you get older, you realize that people are scarier than ghosts. And a ghost could be humping you now, and you would never know it. All right, that's our show. Once again, Parapsychology, and next week, Friday, 1 p.m. Pacific. Join us. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 